0: Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business in which I work with leaders. Before I introduce my guests this week, I want to share a quick note uh, about a three-day Zoom course on self-awareness that I am hosting starting October 1st. One of the biggest constraints in leadership is a lack of self-awareness. One study has shown that roughly 80% of leaders lack self-awareness. This creates a ton of issues for leaders like inconsistent behaviors, lack of confidence, coming across as inauthentic, and just simply not being comfortable in their own skin. To learn more, there's a link in the show notes. So, on um, to my guest. This is part two of a three part uh, conversation with Rob Vaughn. Rob is the baseball coach at the University of Alabama. During part two of my conversation with Rob, we discussed the challenges. Of transitioning from assistant coach to head coach, family rhythms and priorities, becoming more decisive in his decision making and much, much more. Rob is total stud, rising star in the college baseball world. So without further ado, my conversation with Rob Vaughn. Dude, thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, it sounds like you have a ton of ton of self-awareness and being aware of of um yeah, just where your where your strengths are and where your hindrances are. I'm curious, um, just kind of based off what you, what you shared um, there. What was the, what was the biggest adjustment to go from an assistant coach at Maryland to the head coach?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just. So I'm going to use this analogy. So my cousin, his name is Brian Carney. Brian is a is a border patrol agent worked up in from south texas but worked up on the northern border so um in and, and had his dog black was his first dog and in um in literally it was you know would work the borders and up in canada lived up in michigan did a lot of that stuff same thing on the southern border and they're looking for drugs crossing they're looking for all sorts of stuff and shoot his dog black was incredibly decorated um, from catching just cocaine crossing the border, this, that, and the other. So as Brian progressed, like he loved it. Him and Black, awesome relationship, loved it. As Brian's career progressed and he kept moving up, he kept getting more responsibility. But he went from, okay, I've got Black, that's my dog, to now I train the dogs. And he was kind of overseeing, he was up in Michigan, and he was overseeing the training of all these canines for different mm-hmm. things, which is a cool job, and he loved it and then he got another promotion and now he's now working to basically train the trainers of the dogs. And so it's gone from like hey, I've got my own to now I'm control now I'm training these to now I'm training the people that train these animals. And and that's what's kind of my experience. As a player it was myself, right? Like you're training yourself, you're in it, you're doing it. Then you take that next step um into coaching <clears throat> and as an assistant, I had my group, I had my hitters. Those are mine we laugh like jimmy and i would talk about all the time i used to have people when we were back in maryland they would mention a pitcher like hey you guys recruiting so and so i was like i've never heard that name like that's how siloed we were with it like yeah i recruited every hitter i did everything with the hitters i didn't even care about the pitchers i joked all the time i was like i don't like any of them that's what i used to tell them all the time i don't unless you're throwing on friday night for us i don't really care about you i'm gonna get these hitters ready and that's the way we were because we had our little our our little thing and then you get the head job and now it's like you're over this entire thing you're over the people that are managing the people but the buck stops with you with everything mm. and i think that's the biggest thing that i learned like it's not just about like as an off as an offensive coach it was like what i can control is us scoring runs and that's my job and if we're scoring 7 and giving up 8 like that's a hard thing for me to- unless we're just kicking the ball all over like that's a hard thing to kind of be over And just that mindset mindset shift, even though my hands are in the pot with the hitters on a day to day basis more, I'm not the hitting coach. (laughs) Like this whole thing is my responsibility the way they behave, the way they act in the classroom, the grades, um, the way they interact with people on campus. Everything that had the M bar on it was a reflection of our program and was a reflection of who who we were going to be in. And same thing here to Alabama. Like, that was the biggest adjustment I had to make is go from my little silo of managing my own little group to, man, you're over it all. And, you know, this whole the days of plausible deniability and all that is just not a thing. You know, like, my coaches behaving a certain way was, was my responsibility. And underneath them, it was. And it was learning how to manage all that and still be present. Like, I'll be honest, and I shoot my, you get my wife on here. She'd probably tell you even more like we had a young, a young son of time. Wyatt, um, was born in 2016. He was about a year and a half old when I got the head job. And, um, man, I don't think I was a great husband, and a great dad that first year. You know, I was very distracted, um, very frustrated about things. I never felt like I was super present when I would get home because your mind's in 55 different places. And, um, you know, I think as you, you talk about learning on field, I had to learn at home too. Like I had to learn at home how to be a head coach and how to, you know, your phone doesn't turn off because you do get that call at two o'clock in the morning. You got to answer it and you got to, you got to be there for it. I had, won't dive into this story, but I had a, I had a call at two o'clock in the morning on a kid that I had to do a welfare check on when we were on the road one time. And it's my first year as a head coach and shoot, I, Nobody writes the playbook for that one, you know, and you're having to walk through a pretty serious mental health crisis with a young man that I didn't have training on. Nobody, I mean, this was, I I think, thankfully, the mental well-being of our athletes continues to rise every year and more attention is being pushed on it. But in 2018, it wasn't quite as intense as it is now with that. And so you're having to navigate that and you're carrying that with you But when I go come home and Wyatt comes running at me through the door to give me a hug, that guy doesn't care whether we just got run ruled, whether we just smack somebody. He didn't care. Like I gotta show up for him, and and I wasn't great at that. I wasn't great at being present with my wife, and you know we're we talk about love languages all the time in our family, and um hers is quality time. Which if you rank, there's five of them. Quality time's like my fifteenth. Like that is just not one that comes natural to me, and so. Having to kind of work through our relationship with that and communicate on how I needed to grow as a husband and a dad in the midst of being a head coach, just because there is more burdens kind of on your shoulders was a real learning experience for me. And, uh, you know, I I think I think she'd tell you I've probably grown in that, but I'm (laughs) I'm far from a finished product with that. Um, But I think just navigating that is I think we all talk about our skills that we learned. Coaching specific, going from an assistant to a head coach, um, and that's not to diminish what what assistant wives and spouses deal with, because the flip side of that is they deal with their significant others being gone yep. nine months out of the year, of being on the phone for five hours at night. It just what you deal with just kind of shifts, yep. and uh, I think just learning how how to navigate that as a husband and a dad was was something that. Shoot, like I said, I'm I'm far from a finished product, but I think that was one of the biggest adjustments for me.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So I'm gonna uh sounds like one of the areas you've grown is kind of off the field, being present. What in your in your six seasons at Maryland? Um, as you just kind of reflect back, what what are the what are the areas other than that area that you just mentioned that you feel like you've just gotten better? Like I'm just better in these areas.
1: Yeah, I think. I think you get more decisive as you go through that. You know, I think shoot Andy Andrews again, one of my favorite authors tells a story about Joshua Chamberlain, who was, who was a, a general or, or I don't know. I don't think it was a general, but he was in the civil war and he's talking about inaction and how inaction can stunt you. And it's like, if you don't know what to do, do something. That's mm-hmm. the whole story. And he tells a story. With, I mean, Andy Andrews, is an incredible storyteller. So he tells it way better than I do, but he's essentially talking about this battle they're in, 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 everybody's looking to this guy for what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And he flipped it on. He said, fix bayonets and full out charge. And that was like crazy to these guys, but they just went on the attack with way less men with way less anything. And it scared the heck out of the Confederate soldiers. They went running the opposite direction. And, and I think your decisiveness of action is really, really important. I think you can get paralyzed by this and that and shoot as a catcher. I I tell my catcher that all the time when you're calling your own game don't go between your legs to call up well i guess now we use those dang watches but before like don't go into your legs don't think between your legs you start you stick your hand in there and you're like ah do i want a fast or do i want a break ball that pitcher feels that that pitcher feels your uncertainty and i think as a as a coach it's the same thing like if we're going to put something on if we're going to make a pitching change if we're going to do some of this man you got to have confidence in it you got to believe it and you just got to send it we talk about that all the time just send it we're trained we're ready let's go send it and live with the rest and you know, that's something that I think I've gotten a lot better at. You know, I remember when it came to pitching changes early in the year, I was very early in my career. It was very much like, Hey, what do you think? Who do you think? What do you think? And all of a sudden the hitters up, you're kind of frozen. This guy's not hot down here. Yeah. This guy shouldn't be facing him down here. And you're having to kind of navigate what that looks like. I think the decisiveness of that is something that is really important because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to, we're going to, do the wrong thing. We're going to pinch at the wrong guy. We're going to bring the wrong guy in the pitch. But I think the wrong guy with confidence and the wrong guy in the wrong plan with complete conviction is better than the right plan or the right guy and being tentative with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think your kids feel that. I think your players feel that. Um, So I think that's one thing that over time we've grown and gotten a lot better with.
0: Yeah, love that. Okay, uh, I want to loop back. You mentioned to that I think today, Cyned Text, it's gonna be the toughest practice. It's gonna be really tough. Uh, give, give me so you were you were talking about that un, in the category of like building an environment, kind of culture and that thing. First off, give me a picture of what today's about to look like. When you say tough, are we talking just pure physical? Are we, yeah, what what's what's today gonna look like? No,
1: more, more, man. So, like, I've got a shoot. My wife got it for our ten year anniversary. I've got a thing hanging on my wall. The man in the arena speech. You know, the 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 Teddy Roosevelt speech um, is hanging in there. And that's what I want for my kids. Like, for my own kids, Bo and Wyatt. Wyatt's seven in first grade. Bo's gonna be a month or a year old uh, next month. But that's what I want. Like, I want them to be the ones that step in the arena and are present and don't care. It's not the critics. It's not the people on the outside telling you you're not good enough. I want them, and it's, what is it said? It said perfectly, who, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Like, that's what I want for my players. That's what I want for my own kids. But that's what today's practice is. So, you know, the first couple of weeks, you know, we're halfway through week two of really doing stuff with our hitters. And, you know, we spent the first week kind of sitting back, watching a little bit. You know, I kind of put, we do this angle hat drill. So I have two pitching machines set up. They're hitting, and our guys are blasting balls. So, I mean, hitting them out of the stadium, hammering pitches Um, and I'm kind of just sitting back letting it go so that was Monday Tuesday last week we got to Thursday I said all right I'm gonna start making it difficult we have a ball uh, pitching machine called the iPitch and it's basically a pitching machine that works off an iPad I can sit behind home plate I can move it up down ball strike fastball breaking ball all Mm -hmm. sorts of stuff like that Um, and it's a challenge and you know I had I, I we worked through that and guys were Struggled early, got better as we went, did the same thing yesterday. You know, obviously had Labor Day off, so did the same thing yesterday. Um, Came up today, and we're going to do the hardest drill we've done. And I got this from Hunter Bledsoe, um, who's a a, – he's an agent and also does a lot of hitting stuff, works with big leaguers out of Nashville. And so you have this pitch machine set up, and it can change pitches in three seconds. So we'll do drills where it's like – We're working on dominating the fastball. We're going to stay on time. We're going to hit every fastball. We're going to take every breaking ball. But you don't know when that fastball is coming. When you get the fastball, your round's over. It might be the first pitch. It might be the fifth pitch. But I think we're in this, when you hit it, whether you foul it off, whatever you do, the goal is to stay on time and drive the heater when you get it but it's hard. It's just really hard because our brain as humans. Our brains want to go to autopilot. Mm. That's why when you're throwing BP, we never throw around a five BP where it's just all five strikes. Here it is because your brain goes to autopilot. We're not getting any better. We're not solving complex problems. And that's what hitting is. And so we're constantly trying to keep our brain off autopilot. This is the ultimate test of that. And guys are going to get blown up. And for so long in baseball it's like the more swings the better you want to hit go hit more well yeah but if we're on autopilot for 400 of those 420 swings we didn't get a whole lot better and so we've really kind of rethought that and Mm. we do a lot of swing decision stuff on the field and meaning i throw a lot of balls off that thing i make it really hard and so this is a challenge instead of them walking on the field and getting five rounds of five they might take five swings today, but mentally they're having to be hooked in for fifty-five swings. Yeah, and that's where the growth happens—that's where it really happens because you're hooked into that. But they're going to fail miserably today. <laughs> they're going to get—they're going to really struggle today. And you know, I—I I, I said I lived in Annapolis before this when I was up in Maryland, right next to the Naval Academy. Went to dinner one time, or went to lunch with a professor of leadership at the academy one time, and I asked him. I said. Hey, what do you teach? What's like the one piece of advice you give to the plebes when they come in? Basically, the young freshman when they come in, and he said, "Choose to do the hard thing on purpose. Choose mm-hmm. to do the hard." It's like if you have an opportunity to take the stairs or the elevator, take the stairs. In everything in your life, if you choose to do the hard thing, there's nothing game the game or life can throw at you that you're not already consciously making the decision to do the harder thing yourself. So that's what I want out of our hitters. Like, man, fall in love. Like, don't come out and be. Pissy because you didn't swing the bat well come out and love that you had to work and compete and fight that and redefine what success means for you as a hitter and our kids have done a great job of that consistency is key like the first week and a half they've been awesome if we can be this hooked in for six months we got a fighting chance come springtime
0: dude i love that i'm glad i asked that's really 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 good on the just swing decisions um and you you said it's the eye pitch.
1: Yeah, it's called the, it's Spinball. It's, so it says Spinball is the company and they make something called the eye pitch So it's literally, the thing's got like a motherboard in it. So I, it can move around. It's got 10 different pitches and I literally sit behind, I have one of our manager's feet. I sit behind and I can move it up, down. I can switch pitches hmm. all within three seconds. And so it. it's a great piece of technology, but it's it cool. makes our guys a lot better.
0: Okay, uh, walk us through your first 60 days at Alabama. And then- Give give us some notes on yeah, anything you'd do different. First 60 days, and then I'm gonna ask anything you'd change or do different in hindsight. We're getting we, this is a, a really quick feedback loop. You're what yeah. you're 90 days in, right? Ish. Yeah, something
1: like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. First yeah. 60 days, what'd that look like?
1: A uh, mass chaos, I think is the first thing you're talking about. You know, I think, you know, when when I got the job, my wife and my kids slew down with me. We, you know, the first couple of days, you're you're doing all the stuff that I think any of the head coaches around any sport would tell you is the stuff they hate doing the most. It's just all the fluff. It's all the, the photo shoots, the shaking hands, the dinners, the press conference, the yep. all the stuff that's not your job, you know, but that every one of us do for the first three to four days. So got through that. My wife's down here. Um you know, it was only down here for like four days. And I was like, babe, go find a house. I don't care what it looks like. Just tell me when you find the right one. And so she's doing that with the kids. And I told you how, you know, Greg Byrne is just different in the way he works. Like his wife, Regina is an unbelievable superstar. She's incredible. She literally drove my wife and kids around house hunting for three days. Like what AD's wife does that, you know, yeah. and speaks to who they are as a family for really why, why I'm here. Um, But so they're navigating that. They're looking for that. You know, the first couple of days, especially in the world we're in now, I mean, any coach will tell you it's it's dang near the Wild West when it comes to the months of June and July right now. You know, I mean, the season ends. We were in a little bit of a different situation because instead of, you know, the coaching change happening at the end of the year, it happened with six weeks, seven weeks left in the season. and. I mean, what a magical run those kids went on, but it also is kind of what it is. The Sharks are in the water a little bit there, too. You know, they understand they don't have a head coach. They don't know. And you kind of play on the uncertainty of the future with these kids that, you know, the first week you're trying to just hold on to your current team and you're trying to say, like, slow down, just slow down. Just take a breath. If you hate me. I'll be the first one to walk you to the compliance office and say, hey, let's let's get in the transfer portal and move on. But like, let's slow down with this. And so you're trying to hold on. I mean, shoot, they had a great year last year. That, those kids went on such a magical run and were so inspiring to watch at the end of the season last year that you wanted to hold on to as many of them as you could. And you knew you were losing some to the draft. You were losing some to graduation. That was just the nature of college athletics. But spent the first real week calling, talking to, trying to, hang on to our roster, then you're looking forward and you're saying like, okay, now I got the 23 23 class coming in next year. I got to hang on to them. I can't have those guys walk. And you're now battling the draft. The draft is in a month, in less than a month. And you're trying to say like, man, these kids have been committed to a school for two years. They've had a plan. You have two or three pretty high risk draft guys. Shoot, they just got to be real high risk with a now coaching change because their world got turned upside down. So I'm flying around. Spent time in Miami, spent time in Houston, spent time in North Carolina, just bouncing around trying to meet with families. And just I I took the approach of I'm not going to convince you to come to school. I'm just going to try to let you get to know me. And I want to get to know you guys so that you then have a comfort level with sending your kids to me. Like I wasn't going to play the what's your signing bonus and try to drive that up game. I, I didn't think that was a play. I thought it was just let's be real. Let's just go sit down and have have some time together and, and let you see what what this could look like if you show up to school. Um, so we're navigating that. And oh, by the way, you also have the transfer portal that's open in with the departure of so many players to the draft and graduation. You're trying to piece back together with some veteran players. And one thing I saw is we had a really good nucleus of young players. We just didn't have a lot of experience. So trying to help our team get a little bit older and protect some of those young players Um, is what we were trying to do. So you're juggling all these things, and it was kind of a blessing and a curse. You know, I'm away from my family for probably almost 60 days, which was awful. You know, like my wife's my best friend in the world. Like I, I love coming home to her every night. She's the rock of our family. I've got a seven year old and Wyatt, who's the most fun, awesome dude ever, and then I've got at the time a nine month old and and Bo that is learning new things and he's learning to crawl and he's crazy and awesome and all those things all at the same time, you feel like you're missing those things, you know, and that, that was awful. But at the same time, I don't think I would have been able to do what I was able to do without kind of being here by myself. I mean, it was me and three of my assistant coaches in an apartment that they'd put us up in 200 yards from the baseball field that Shooting. One one's on an air mattress, one sleeping on the couch in there. It was like, it was awesome. It was a time I think we'll look back on and be like, that was the most fun thing ever. But it would come at a cost of missing your family and doing some of that. But that first 60 days was you're trying to hold your current team together. You're trying to hold the recruiting classes mm-hmm. together. And then you're also trying to add a nucleus of the right people. Because I think that's the one thing. The transfer portal has gotten so much attention lately and all these things and everybody's got an opinion on and on what they want to look at. But I do think it can be a good thing, but I think you can also destroy your culture if you do it with the wrong people. So that was our thing coming in is we, we had to make sure it was the right people. I had, had to make sure it was our kind of kids and our kind of people. And, um, and, you know, I think, I think we did a pretty good job that just seeing the way they worked, it, it took some time and we were pretty methodical with it. Um, but I think we got the right kids in here, and so it's been fun to get to work. the The first sixty days were a whirlwind. I think my my beard got a little grayer. I think those first few 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 weeks, but it was a heck
0: of a lot of fun. Talk to me about uh, your your staff, hi, the hiring process. Um, I know you knew some, you kept one. Like, yeah, navig help me give me insight into to what you did there.
1: Yeah, I mean so, I mean I think it starts with our associate head coach Jason Jackson, you know, and JJ's very well known, very well respected among the coaching community and him and I had kind of run parallel paths. We knew a lot of the same people around the same age, had been kind of through a lot of the same stuff and just had never crossed paths. And you know, I'm sitting there from afar watching him lead this team through an incredibly difficult time. And not only lead them, but lead them incredibly well. And they went on this magical run. And, you know, when I started talking to to Greg about it a little bit, you know, he, he asked me, he's like, what do you know about JJ? I said, man, not a lot. I know he's super well respected. Um, I've heard awesome things. I just personally don't know him that well. And so I started doing a deep dive on on him and stuff. And I remember watching when they went to Hoover. Like they're because Greg asked me, like, Do you think you guys could work together? And, and I was honest with him. I said, Look, I've heard great things, but this is also a job that you want to really, it's got to be all hands on deck. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got to make sure that it fits with who we are because he might be great in his job, but if it's not the right fit, it doesn't matter. And so I, I, they're at Hoover at the SEC tournament and I'm paying attention. I'm watching every single one of his press conferences after the games in Hoover and Everybody was like heaping praise on him as they should have. I mean, he'd done an incredible job and was in the process of doing an incredible job. And I just kept watching him deflect all the praise to his players, Mm. not lobbying to try to get the job, not trying to do this, but just deflecting it on his guys. I listened to him talk about his players and it was so clear he loved them. He believed in them. He was he was a kind of it took me this long to be like, yep, that's good. And then I got on the phone with him you know, and him and I had a, about an hour long conversation. And I bet you 40 minutes of that hour conversation, we were talking about our wives. We were talking about our kids. We were talking about all the stuff that unfortunately in our profession, a lot of people push to the side, you know, and, yeah. and, and I knew, I knew he was the right guy. And so we were able to work it out and, and get, you know, get JJ to stick around, which was huge because after being with him now for for three months there ain't a better dude out there i can tell you and we talk about fit we talk about this all a lot like i've had i've had some really good coaches that i've worked alongside and have worked for me um but the cohesiveness of this staff and how it's functioning right now is is pretty special um you know and then and i had two guys with me at maryland you know anthony papio was he's the all-time wins leader at maryland um played for me for four years um as coach with me for the last seven is the best way to describe him as a winner. Man, that guy is a tough, tough winner. And um so I knew like, you know, he's a Maryland guy through and through. I didn't know what that would look like. You know, I didn't know if he'd be willing to leave Maryland because I'm sure if he wanted to to stay with Coach Swope at Maryland, I guarantee you he had he would have had a position waiting for him. Um, but I was fortunate enough that that I think him and his his soon-to-be wife, they're getting married October 21st, we're, um, we're kind of ready for that next adventure in. And I think the timing worked out and he came down with me. Um, so he's kind of my my right hand with with hitting and and all things offense-related. Um, and then the guy that really, I think, holds this whole thing together is a guy named Mike Morrison. So Mike pitched for the Coastal Carolina team back in 2016 that won the national championship. Um, we call him Mo. Um, when Corey Mascara left to go to Wake Forest, Pap came to me and he's like, Hey, I don't know. I don't know if he's the guy you want, but I can tell you there's this guy I work camps with, Mike Morrison, and he's your kind of guy. It's probably worth at least having a phone call with him. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was on staff down at Coastal Carolina. And uh, we did, him and I, I happened to be in Myrtle Beach that weekend with my family uh, for Father's Day weekend. Mike was down at Coastal. So I said, Hey, meet me for coffee. Let's go talk. So we went to Starbucks right there next to the hotel and I'm thinking it's going to be a 20 minute conversation, a half hour just see what he's like and maybe bring him up to campus. If I liked him, we were there for about three and a half hours and, and talked about everything and shoot. He was at my house back in Maryland the following Tuesday and started working two days later. Like mm-hmm. was it happened that fast and, and Mo is kind of our, I basically told him, you know, he was my pitching coach at Maryland for two years and, you know, You talk about no ego. You talk about humility. The way him and JJ have worked together through this has been unbelievable because I sat him down in my office. I was like, hey, man, this is just the reality. Like, JJ is the pitching coach. Like, he's our guy's the associate head coach. I want you to come, but I want you to be J.J.'s right hand with the pitchers. But I also want you to coach our catchers, which I've seen you do in your elite head. And I want you to be our general manager, essentially. Like, I want you – your goal is you're our recruiting coordinator. And you are going to put this team together and make it your team. And mm-hmm. he has done an incredible job with that, is a wizard with with numbers, is a wizard with creativity. Um, I've known Mo for, for two and a half years now. and Feels like I've known him for twenty. Like in and you spend five minutes with Mo, that's how you feel. He's he's the glue that holds all of us together. And uh so incredibly fortunate to to get him to come down with me.